Hi, I'm Shibri Bani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by longtime Osmosis investor and advisor Alan Patrikoff and his partner Abby Levy, who are two business leaders who have started a venture capital firm called Primetime Partners that's backing platforms and products for aging Americans and investing in older entrepreneurs. So Alan was introduced to me by our other advisor investor, Peter Frischoff, who founded Medscape, and we've had a a really good relationship since then. He's sort of a legend in the venture capital community, having over a 50-year career of investing in category-defining companies like America Online, Apple, and Office Depot. He was on the board of Thrive Global with Abby Levy, who is the president of Thrive Global, um, which is a company co-founded by Ariana Huffington, a former Raised Line guest. And she also served as an executive at SoulCycle, so knows a bit about the health and wellness space. So Abby and Alan, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for inviting us. Yes, great to be here. So I remember I was having breakfast in New York uh, almost a year ago with Alan, who was talking about something that he was super excited to do, chapter three of his career, uh, and talking you up a lot, Abby, as someone he can't wait to get into business with. I'd love to hear more about how you paired up and decided to launch Primetime Partners. Why don't you give them a background, Abby, and I'll fill in. Absolutely. So Alan and I came to Primetime Partners uh, through our own paths of being uh, both curious and passionate about uh, what happens in the third chapter of life. Uh, For me, the the personal narrative was I'd been a health and wellness executive and had a personal story around trying to help my parents find more experiences and things to do. And it became glaringly obvious that there were very few product services and experience designed for older adults to really help them live their best life during, you know, ages 60 plus. And so that was kind of how I came to the sector. When I was speaking with a good friend of mine by the name of John Patrickoff, you might recognize the last name. John is one of Alan's sons. Um, and John and I went to graduate school together. When I told John I wanted to start a venture fund to invest in businesses in the space, he lit up and said, this is actually what my dad wants to do. And since I'd known Alan for the prior four years through our involvement together at Thrive Global, it was really a seamless kind of, I wouldn't say a match made in heaven, but since we've paired up uh, this past November, uh, things have really um, accelerated in quite a beautiful way. And I'll let Alan share how he came to the sector. Mine was a different path and uh, it really had two paths to it. One was the fact that my wife has had Alzheimer's for the last 11 years. Uh, and the last three years have really been quite serious with full-time caregiving. And in that process, I became very aware of all the services and products and things that were needed, not just for someone who had a chronic illness, but just as people aged. Uh, and I got very familiar with caregiving aspect and, and supplies and services and trying to figure out things to do for someone who was aging at home, let's say. And that was had been on my mind a lot. At the same time, I started reading uh, so many articles that were coming out about what was happening to the uh, our older generation, uh, as I like to call them now, the ageless generation, which is the fastest growing part of the economy in the next 20 years. And uh, with enormous buying power, people are living longer, staying active and uh, more vital lives. I always said, for the last 10 or 15 years, I was going to live to 114, and that's for another another day of story. But uh, I've been consistent about that uh, objective. And uh, if you're going to live that long, or even as the now current expectation is 100 years for the average person, uh, there's a lot of years left to do things with. And so that was one aspect. But the other aspect that really was intriguing me was the fact that I uh, knew a lot of people who were 
you know, in their late 50s, early 60s, or even later, who had built businesses or had big careers, and they were coming to an end either through forced retirement or for some other reason. And uh, I, it just seemed to me that, you know, I did my second career at 71. I'm now doing my third career at 85. There are a lot of people around who are capable of starting other businesses who've had successful careers. So I wanted to see if I could be the poster child also for that generation. And I happened to also read that the success rate of, of entrepreneurs in their 60s was twice as high as those in the 30s, which was really remarkable. And you never saw in a venture capital office presentation, never is a long time, but hardly ever, certainly, an older entrepreneur. They're usually in their 20s or 30s. So I had this dwelling within me, this excitement and interest. And all of a sudden I found Abby was about to put it into place. And I said, wow. And within a matter of days and weeks, we agreed to get together and primetime partners is what came out of it. Yeah, that's something that always impressed me. The, the term ageless, I think, really defines you, Alan, and obviously what you're trying to do here. Uh, Abby, I don't know if you know this, but Alan came to Park City back in January for our board meeting, and we went skiing with uh, Mitch Rothschild, who I know is an advisor of yours. Mm -hmm. He's a board member of ours at Osmosis, as well as Peter. And he went down a double black at, what, you were 84, 85 at that point, Alan? Uh, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it wasn't that long, just a couple months ago, yeah. Um, and so I'm curious, what are some examples, you've, you've been very active already, what are some examples of companies you've invested in? And, and how are you picking the next generation of companies? Or is it is it mostly like you have to have people who are older than 50 as entrepreneurs? I'd love to hear more about your criteria. Absolutely. And just to give you a perspective, 50% of people born in 2007 will live to be over 100 years old. So our definition of what numbers matter is shifting as longevity is pushing us past 100 years old. And so I agree. It's amazing that Alan at age 84 is doing that. My dad at age 83 is doing the same. And I think we're going to continue to see more and more older adults living very both physically active as well as productive lives into their 80s and 90s in a way that we've never seen before. Um, in terms of how we think about you know, where we want to invest, I think we really align with what older adults care about. And there have been plenty of studies that show they, they care about three major buckets. They care about their health, they care about their financial security, and they care about having meaningful experiences. And so that is how we're kind of looking at the landscape is to say, how do we build along those lines, the products and services and businesses that solve those needs? Um, in terms of the investments we've made, we only announced the fund in July. And prior to the announcement, actually saw so many wonderful companies and founders we wanted to support that we actually made four investments in advance of announcing the fund that were for the purpose of the fund. And then in addition, I've made two investments just in the past three weeks alone. I'm happy to walk you through a few of them, um, but I think the notion is to say, whereas a few years ago, I wasn't seeing as many entrepreneurs in the space we are now starting to see many more entrepreneurs. Some of it is definitely a COVID bump of, of folks that are kind of entrepreneurs who are looking for a business to start and are now more intrigued by how do we help older adults? What's the new version of senior living? How can people age in place? What do we do about you know, people running out of their funds in terms of re retirement incomes not stretching? Um, so we're seeing a lot more entrepreneurs tackling these problems. Some of the investments that we've made include a business called Retireable. Retireable is a digital financial advisor for Americans who have no financial plan. 
Um, and if you think about it, there's actually 50 million Americans who do not have a retirement plan, largely because they're not an attractive customer to traditional Fidelities and Schwabs of this world. Their assets fall beneath that. And so Retireable solves that through a very efficient both digital solution as well as I call it like a tele-advisory video service. The second business we invested in is a business called Tembo Health. Tembo Health, I was just on the phone with the CEO this morning. They provide specialty telemedicine to nursing homes. So think of psychiatry and cardiology and pulmonology as well as urgent care. And telemedicine has become something that I think every American has become more attuned to since it became reimbursable through COVID. And now, you know, especially for nursing homes where you don't want patients going in and out of the home, you bring the doctors in via telemedicine. Another investment that was just announced yesterday you referenced is a, is a business called CareWell. Carol's a fantastic business that supports caregivers with the home health supplies they need. It is very scary when when you're taking care of yourself or a loved one. You don't know what products you need, how to use them, uh, lack of community. And so what Carol does is really combine service plus commerce for this market. I could go on, but those are three of the six investments we've made to date. And we're seeing tremendous growth in the pipeline. That's incredible. Uh, that's a good group of uh, companies already. And you only launched in July and it's two months later and you've already made, uh, you said, six investments. So, you know, our audience is mostly caregivers and clinicians at Osmosis, people who, are, who may wind up becoming specialists in, say, geriatric care or become uh, certified nurse assistants as well. You know, do you have any specific kind of criteria or advice for them about, you know, what they should be thinking about as the silver tsunami comes down the pipeline? That is a great question. Um, I think we're seeing a few trends that I think to be attuned to. One, obviously, is social isolation and the impact of social isolation on health. And this has become something that I think the healthcare system actually now recognizes is a health driver versus a nice to have. And so finding ways for people that you care about to stay uh, connected to their loved ones, to meet other people, to connect to society at large for all the benefits. I think we're seeing a lot of solutions that are attempting to to work on that. In fact, one of the investments I didn't mention is a company called Bloom, where it is a live video enrichment experiences for older adults. It's kind of like if uh, Masterclass and online dating had a baby, this would be Bloom. Uh, And so we're seeing the issue of social isolation. The second theme that we're seeing is a lot around care coordination, particularly for the non-professional caregiver. If you think about it, it's staggering. There's up to 50 million family caregivers in the U.S., 50 million people who are taking care of a loved one. These caregivers are typically untrained, unpaid, completely stressed out, and not connected to one another or to their family members. So how we can facilitate care coordination and involve this amazing workforce, if you will, that we have um, to augment what's going on in the professional care settings. So I think that's a second area we're seeing a lot of activity around. And then the third is really around the caregiving population itself. And so, you know, we've seen the presidential, particularly Biden has in his plan, a lot around not only do we need to increase the number of professional caregivers given the silver tsunami, but we also need to retain them and train them and, and reward them. And so we're starting to see some solutions really focus on stress and burnout of caregivers around quality of care and also around the training of that workforce. And so I think kind of the caregiver workforce development is another area we're seeing some activity around. Let me supplement what Abby's saying. I think there's a greater and greater awareness that's coming out through the election process, but it happened before, about the need 
for first responders, for, for people who are on the front line. And I think this recognition that caregivers are really a very important part, just as much as teachers, caregivers, and it's only going to get more important. And that what Abby brought out is, in a way, we're all going to end up being caregivers. While I have professional caregivers at my home at this stage, I still am a caregiver. I am very involved in the process. It's changed my life, my uh, how my schedule operates, functions I have to perform that I didn't before, things I've had to learn, support groups that I've become part of. And this is now, uh, it's going to be part of all of our lives. And, you know, someone who's 20 or 30 or 40 years old, at some point, they're going to face it. But what we're finding out, when we were out talking to potential investors about uh, primetime partners, I honestly am not exaggerating when I would say no matter who we spoke to, no matter who, at whatever age, Abby can almost fill in the words, they say, I get it. That those were the words every single time. You didn't have to do much explanation. And I think that that is a probably a major part. And that's why there are a lot of people, young people starting up businesses in this area, uh, seeing needs that they come to probably because they know of somebody or they got somehow involved and they saw a need. And that's what got them to focus in this area. I couldn't agree more. I mean, I'll be the uh, next to chime in that I get it as well. My mother is a physical therapist in Florida who's written two books on urinary incontinence. So growing up, I knew a lot about- Wow. Um, you didn't tell us that. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll send you the send it to you. But um, yeah, she's uh, her population. And growing up in Florida, where I was the youngest person on my block by you know 50 years, apart from my parents, um, I definitely saw a lot of that happening where caregivers would arrive at these houses and take care for eight hours a day or, and then leave. So I'm curious, like how COVID has accelerated some of your plans or, or, or maybe uh, interfere with them, because we know that some companies have had to uh, slow down because of restrictions uh, since the elderly population is a little more at risk because of COVID. What have you found with COVID? We've had this concept. We were started in December of last year. COVID wasn't even a word yet. Uh, as we started into it, COVID became a word and it had some impact on our starting up and getting our, our act together. But uh, what COVID has done is honestly, it's compounded the opportunities in our world. Believe me, we are no interest in, in benefiting COVID. But, you know, if nothing else, uh, all older people are now become facile in using Zoom, uh, using their uh, home device and exercises, changing their lives patterns to accommodate the, the disease that's been thrust upon us. So I would say it's had a compounding accelerated impact on the, the opportunities in our area. And I'll let Abby fill in from there. I think that we've seen a change in obviously behaviors of older adults in terms of their, their necessity of technology to reach um, older adults. I think we've also seen the elevation of the child as caregiver um, the number of my peer group who had to step up and take closer care of their parents was absolutely something we've seen from COVID. I think you asked the question about what's going on in senior living. Senior living has kind of opened the door to a whole new set of companies like telemedicine that need to service and remote monitoring and all of these technologies that will kind of minimize patient clinician contact 
during times of disease control. And I think the last thing is you've seen the government play a slightly different role. So you have seen with the reimbursement of telemedicine, you've seen the government involved in more regulations of different areas, more support for the aging. So, you know, the government has shown that they're interested in innovating. They are uh, supportive of trying new things. And that bodes really well for the ecosystem that we're building. In addition to the um, the companies you've mentioned that you've invested in, you also have a pretty impressive list of limited partners. I know one who, who Alan introduced me to at Graycroft Summit last year is Tom DeRosa. Maybe you can talk a bit more about your LPs and your advisors who are helping you find and, and vet uh, opportunities as well. Tom DeRosa is CEO of Welltower, one of the largest senior living REITs uh, in the country. And uh, Tom is, I think, indicative of our group of advisors where we've engaged executives across the spectrum from Aaron Martin, who is Chief Digital Officer of Providence Health Systems. Do you mention Mitch Rothschild, who comes from the health media digital marketing space? We have Rachel Winokur, who is an executive of Bright Health and MA Plan. And I can go on and on. But our advisors provide, I think, first of all, an opportunity to screen the companies we're seeing to say, hey, is there could you be a customer for this? Is this a good idea? Do these margins look right? And so they're super helpful on the diligence, but they're also helpful in being potentially the first customer or a revenue generator for our companies. In fact, of the six companies that we've invested in, so far, there have been kind of three of our advisors have been helpful in terms of securing revenue for those companies. So, you know, our advisor team, I have to say, was really kind of brought together really by a shared interest, a shared interest of let's build, you know, there's big problems to solve. We need a lot of great brains and smart capital doing it. And so we're very lucky to have kind of uh, amass these group of advisors who are many times longtime friends of either Alan or myself. I think the other piece that, you know, we mentioned in terms of our investor group is all of our investors, I think, are uh, completely aligned around this notion of profit with purpose. And uh, we are absolutely out for tremendous financial returns. We are a venture capital business. But I think that given the space we're playing in, if we don't have social impact, then we won't have succeeded either on the investing side or on, on the mission. So absolutely, uh, seniors are an underserved population. And I think that that's really something that everyone in our investor group is aligned around. I'd like to add that the great benefit from Wealth Tower is, is as a strategic partner is we have a testing ground in any one of their 1600 facilities to when we have a concept uh, and they are, that's the reason they're interested in why Tom is interested in being involved is to, to be exposed to new things that may come up. And I might add that as part of our investor group, we have one major uh, medical school and we also have two other operators of nursing home chains who are there for the same reason. They want to make money, but they also are interested in hearing about new things that we may come across because we're focusing in the what we call the seed and early stage pre-seed in some cases uh, investing as opposed to later stage investing. So we're, we're bound to come up with some exciting new ideas as part of our investing activities. Yeah, I have no doubt. I mean, the, the opportunity ahead of us is why a large reason why, as you know, Alan, we've gone from just being a provider for medical schools and nursing PA students as well to now doing caregiver training as well. Like one of our vision, Abby, you may not know this, is everyone who cares for someone will learn by osmosis and everyone cares for someone. You care for your wife, Alan, you know, Abby, you have, uh, you said aging parents that you care for as well as three children. And so really everyone cares for somebody. But speaking of um, the ubiquity of this problem, 
when I started hearing about the silver tsunami, it was in the context of Japan. Like Japan, I know, was maybe the leading indicator of, of Japan and Germany of what an aging population could do socioeconomically, um, what are some of the opportunities there. And now it's starting to hit in the U.S., obviously. How international are you guys looking as far as your investments? I'll take a stab at that. We have one investor specifically who's from China and is particularly interested because they want to see the opportunities that perhaps can be exported to China. I will tell you that one of the companies we looked at in the remote sensing area already, when we got to know them better, they weren't even addressing the, while they're located in San Francisco, they were addressing the Japanese market. And when we asked why, it was said almost for what, verbatim what you were saying, the market there is much more focused on elderly care in general and are very receptive and have reimbursement techniques in place already that for them was a faster entry point was to go into Japan. In answer to what areas we're interested in, we'll look at other countries besides the U.S. Obviously, we're going to be primarily focused in the U.S., but we've already seen a deal from India, and I think we've seen one from Europe. But we're open to that. But in every case, we will do that alongside an investor who is locally based. We will not go in as pioneers on our own into a into another country. But Europe, as you said, China, Japan are the key markets, in addition to the United States, where the population is aging. Well, I know we're coming up on time, but I have two more questions. The, the first is that if you're looking out, say, five, 10 years from now, what are your goals for, for primetime partners? Are you thinking this is the first of many funds? Are you going to invest in later stage companies? How, how are you thinking about the opportunity ahead? It's, it's a great question. Um, I think this is early days for developing a private sector around all things related to aging and older adults. And so as I look at our kind of strategy over the next five to 10 years, obviously it's to make great investments and to support great founders building meaningful businesses. But our hope is that we actually create a much broader platform for both investors and startups, but more broadly folks that are interested in in policy and media and all thought leadership around what it means to be an older adult in our society. If you think about it from a just a visibility standpoint, other than AARP in the US, there are not many movements or efforts from a visibility and a, and a role modeling and a positive brands around older adults. So in addition to building out a very substantial investment platform and you know, again, later stage funds, more early stage funds, we'll see where the opportunities lie, but also to really build a positive brand and entity around this sector that you know has global implications, but really has the ability to kind of change the narrative of how we think about it so that you know, you're not surprised when an 84-year-old's cruising down a double black diamond in Park City. It just becomes part of our consciousness. Um, so I think that's something that I think is for the firm. And then you know, for me personally, Alan should contribute his own. For me personally, you know, it does come down to people. I love the team that we have at Primetime. We look forward to expanding our team. In fact, we're looking to hire investment professionals right now, but really just the entrepreneurs that we've met. Um, you know, we've seen about 80 or 100 companies just since launch. And so we're meeting these founders. And if, you know, just to encourage the founders that are out there or people who are considering being a founder to really work with them and to inspire them that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. So I think those are some goals that I have. I'm sure, Alan, you can add more as well. I would just say this is going to be the first of many funds. We deliberately capped the size of this first one because we wanted to be realistic and 
and kind of prime the pump of our investment outreach. And it's it's going honestly faster than we thought. We thought we'd probably put this capital at work in three years. It looks more likely it's going to be two years. The demand is out there, and we wanted to start at a realistic basis. But I know Abby's aspirations are very high, and uh, I'm sure she's got a twinkle in her brow someplace, thinking already about fun too, <laughs> and thereafter. Uh, and I'll go along for the ride as long as uh, she'll keep me. Awesome. One one last story I'll share, and then my last question um, is, Alan, I don't know if I ever told you, but one of my mentors uh, briefly at Hopkins when I was a med student there is a woman named Catherine DeAngelis, a physician there. She was the first um, editor, female editor-in-chief of, of JAMA, Journal of the American Medical mm-hmm. Association. And I asked her, um, I think she was in her in her 80s as well, and she, I asked her, I'm like, oh, when did you retire, uh, Dr. DeAngelis? And she said, Shiv, honey, I never tired the first time. How can I retire? And so I think that's... Uh, <laughs> Similar to uh, to what I'm hearing about. Amen. Amen. <laughs> um, well, my last question is: Is there any other uh, anything I've missed? I didn't ask that you'd like to be able to address, um, especially to our audience. We have an audience of millions of current and future healthcare professionals, mostly. I think the the piece that we're starting to learn. First of all, it's a very heterogeneous group, so it's really hard to say that there's one profile of a senior. But I think the piece that we're appreciating is that service and human touch really matters. Um, and it matters as you get older and you have questions, whether they're financial questions or health questions. I think a lot of entrepreneurs who have come at this with a technology and data as the answer are what we're seeing is that we want to encourage to still provide the human touch and support in effective, in efficient ways, but that that's really important for this market. And I think for care professionals, recognizing that that extra 30 seconds you spend helping someone address their stress, anxiety, or fears around whatever topic is facing them is time well spent. And we're seeing that our businesses are getting traction and loyalty from consumers like Carewell, like Bloom, like Tembo, when, like Retirable, when they are having a human element to what they offer. And I think that's something that's really important as professionals get pushed more and more out of care and more into the routine and the data of what they're doing is to remember that particularly for this audience, human care and TLC matters. I'll just finish up by saying, I hope you've gotten from this session the feeling that Abby and I are very, very strongly motivated to become thought leaders in this area. Uh, And we intend to stand up on soapboxes, write op-eds, and do whatever we can to promote this whole area of the opportunities for investment and also for people to think about more actively this whole idea of the ageless generation that's that's here and is coming up in the next 20 years, 30 years, and into the future, actually. Well, that's fantastic. I mean, and I hope that uh, we can play a small part in that story by amplifying your message to our audience. So with that, I'd like to thank you both, uh, Alan and Abby, for taking the time to be with us today and wish you the best on Primetime Partners. I'm Shibulani. Thank you for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line. We're all in this together.